We just sang in Psalm 119, O Lord, let me not from your laws depart, nor to the love of selfish gain surrender. Restrain me, lest I wistful glances dart at vanities and yearn for earthly splendor. That takes us to the 10th commandment, which will be the focus of this afternoon, which is you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And our scripture reading in that connection then is Psalm 73. We'll read Psalm 73 in its entirety. Psalm 73 is a psalm of Asaph. This is the word of our God. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore his people return here and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, How does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places, you cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awakes. So, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant, I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart fail But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. So far, the reading of Scripture. We turn now to what we confess concerning the 10th commandment in Lord's Day 44 of the Heidelberg Catechism. And you find that on page 558 of the Book of Praise. 
There we find the following questions and answers. What does the 10th commandment require of us? That not even the slightest thought or desire, contrary to any of God's commandments, should ever arise in our heart. Rather, with all our heart, we should always hate all sin and delight in all righteousness. But can those converted to God keep these commandments perfectly? No. In this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of this obedience. Nevertheless, with earnest purpose, they do begin to live not only according to some, but to all the commandments of God. If in this life no one can keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, why does God have them preached so strictly? First, so that throughout our life we may more and more become aware of our sinful nature and therefore seek more eagerly the forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ. Second, so that while praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, we may never stop striving to be renewed more and more after God's image until after this life we reach the goal of perfection so far. And after the sermon, we will sing Psalm 73, the stanzas 1, 7, and 8. Theme for the sermon is the Lord desires that his law be imprinted on our hearts to make us long for complete salvation in Jesus, pursue the perfect righteousness of Christ and pray for the amazing grace of Christ. Dear brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, picture the following scenarios. Two men are working for a tech company. They've been doing the same work for several years when one of them is given a promotion that gives him a huge increase in pay. He takes his wife and kids to a beautiful resort to celebrate. What do you think that will do to the other person? How would you respond if you were that other person? Two girlfriends have been hanging out ever since they were in kindergarten. The one gets married, has a caring, a loving husband, a few children that always get attention at church because they are adorable and well-behaved. And the second woman remains single feels, and feels that the more she tries to present herself as a godly woman, the less attractive she is to the guys of the church. She isn't one of the cool church chicks. She feels stuck. Two girlfriends still get together, but the relationship has become strained. The second woman has, had, has a hard time being happy for the first woman because in her heart she covets her friend's life. 
Two women have been attending the same church for as long as they could remember. The one woman just celebrated an anniversary with the love of her life, surrounded by many children and grandchildren. Her children all love the Lord and have strong marriages. And the other woman struggles with chronic pain, anxiety, and depression. Tears fill her eyes as soon as you talk about her circumstances because everything that could go wrong did. Or so it seems. She has a hard time in social gatherings where people talk about their kids and their grandkids because she has none. In her heart, she covets what they have. And she hides her covetousness under a coat of excuses and legitimate reasons why she can't show up. Two families attend the same church. And by outward appearances, the one family has it all together. The husband has a good job, comes home on time to help with with supper chores, and helps with putting the kids to bed. The children are polite, well-behaved in public, go to bed without one, two, or three times coming out. And you'd think they were minister's kids. One right now is not, of course, but... They are constantly getting compliments when in public. And the other family is perplexed and puzzled. What have they done to deserve what they are experiencing? Much to their sorrow, their children turn their backs to the service of the Lord. And they know people are talking behind their backs, questioning what went on in their home. And sometimes they can't help feeling resentful and bitter. They struggle with many why questions and cannot help feeling jealous of families that seem just to to coast through life. Well, brothers and sisters, I mention these because coveting is very real for all of us. And there are so many different situations in life that can cause us to be envious and jealous of the life circumstances, the relationships, the possessions, and the friendships of others. And we are most vulnerable to covet in those areas that mean a lot to us. Coveting is far from being a problem only grown-ups face. Children, too, want things that do not belong to them and will throw a vicious temper tantrum if they don't get what they want. Or they will be jealous of what their siblings have and they will whine with things like, why does she always get to play on the tablet and I never get a turn? Why does he always get out of doing chores? If we feel we are getting a raw deal or less attention than others, we might think ourselves to be the black sheep of the family 
or in the church. Well, our Lord Jesus Christ speaks strong words against the foolishness of coveting and conversely calls us to be content with what we have been given. You will make yourself extremely miserable if you are constantly craving things you do not have or want in a bad way. Coveting in no way is a fruit of the Spirit. Boys and girls, I am sure you sense there is something very wrong if I tell you, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, envy, patience, kindness, goodness, jealousy, gentleness, faithfulness, coveting, and self-control. Against these there is no law. By addressing the sin and snare of coveting, the Tenth Commandment moves beyond our actions and our attitudes. It goes straight to your and my heart. It shines God's bright light of truth into that hidden darkness inside of us that no other human being can see. So coveting is not an exterior visible sin like other sins. Fingerprints will not pick it up, and police radar will not detect the sin. It is an interior sin that is the starting point of the more visible sins of murder, adultery, stealing, lying, and slander. Covetousness is deadly because it poisons every relationship with the Lord and with our neighbor. It's the excessive desire for something you do not have or the envious desire for something someone else has when in fact your life is fine without them. Coveting is to desire anything other than God in a way that betrays a loss of contentment. We want what we weren't meant to have. Brothers and sisters, when you and I desire something that is not properly ours or which would require breaking one of God's commandments to get it, then we set the stage for doing something wrong. If you covet a woman, not your wife, you set yourself up for adultery. If you covet your neighbor's good reputation, his position, you set up yourself for murder in thought, word, or even deed. And if you covet someone else's property, you set yourself up for possible theft or for spending an undue amount of your time and money on getting something just like that person next door. Coveting is the basic pulse behind every sin. It's the glowing ember of misdirected desire which can easily explode into flame if, it were not, if we're not careful. Consider already, covetousness is a hard issue. And Psalm 73 gives us some insight into what covetousness will do to our hearts, to our souls. It will drive us crazy 
rob us of satisfaction and joy, eat out our hearts, and consume our soul. It will transform you and me into a brute and a beast. Listen again to what Asaph says in this psalm. When my soul was embittered, he says, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. And how did Asaph get to this point? Well, it started with misplaced desires. And such misplaced desires quickly morphed into envious frustration. You see, when you chase something that can't be attained, you will get exasperated. Going after things that do not last and are of no value beyond this life is like chasing after the wind. The harder you work to fill your heart, the emptier it becomes, and that will lead to frustration and anger. And not only will you judge and condemn others that stand in your way and keep you from getting what you want, but you will begin to judge and condemn God as unfair and as unloving because you received the short end of the stick. The cry we can sometimes make when we say, why God? Why does this have to happen to me? Is often a lament that uncovers our unhappiness with what God has put on our path. And in the back of our minds, the cry really includes, and why not them? Oh, it's a miserable way to operate, don't you think? But it can happen to any of us. Just like it did to Asaph, because indwelling sin can make us act like brutes and beasts. Psalm 73 reminds us that the crisis of the human existence is not only that we are horizontally unfulfilled, but that we are vertically cut off. And it is the grace of the Lord Jesus that connects us to God. And that is the only place where we can find rest for our hearts and souls. He delivers us from the madness of our desire to seek contentment in the creation rather than in the creator. You see, this world and all that is in it was never designed or created to satisfy us when we covet we are asking creation to do something it was never meant to do. We are here to praise and glorify God, the Creator, and enjoy Him forever. No, it's not inherently wrong to find pleasure pleasurable or desire or to desire comfort. Nor is it ungodly to seek security and stability with earthly blessings while on this earth. But these things are not meant to replace God. Your heart has been wired to find its hope, peace, and rest in the Creator and not what He created. 
And so the 10th commandment takes us to where we need to be. We long for salvation in Jesus. He is the desire that makes our hearts full of joy as we find contentment in His love, in His kindness, in His grace, no matter what our circumstances are, in riches and in poverty. And when through the grace of God you are content with knowing that Jesus Christ has saved you by His grace, then you will slam the door shut on the power of covetousness that can mess up your life so badly. Beloved, to fully appreciate the depth of the commandment, you shall not covet. Our starting point is to look at what we have received in God when He gave His people the Ten Commandments. The Lord brought His people out of Egypt because He wanted them to serve Him as the God of redemption. He desired that. He longed for that. It was the Lord's desire to fulfill the promises made to the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Lord desired to have this people as His own. He established a covenant with them at the foot of Mount Sinai, and He promised them, and He provided them with the whole law, including the law about coveting, in order to keep them in the boundaries of His love and grace. Yes, in all He did for them, the Lord demonstrated how much He desired to have a people who would serve Him with all their hearts. God the Father loves His children. He's thinking about them all the time. And now He requests returned love of hearts that delight in all righteousness. And also today, we as church, adults, teenagers, boys and girls are to serve Him not superficially or with empty forms, with, a, with our hearts. You see how the 10th commandment really draws in the entire law? The Lord takes possession of our hearts and therefore all our thoughts Feelings, desires, emotions are to be controlled by Him. God says to you and me, before you say anything about anyone else, remember my perfect standard. I do not simply require you to live a moral life. I covet your heart. I want it for myself. I am jealous and full of zeal for my own reputation. My glory I will not share with another. And therefore not even the slightest thought or desire contrary to any of my commandments should ever arise in your heart. Rather, with all your heart, you should always hate all sin and delight in all righteousness. By giving us the Ten Commandments, the Lord wants us to make a radical break with sin and desire nothing but salvation in Christ. Sin must be treated as an enemy, not because God forces us to hate it, 
but because we believe in our hearts that we are offending and grieving the Lord by what we are doing. The negative, hating sin with all our heart is to be followed by positive and affirmative action, delighting in all righteousness. Righteousness. That's to follow the straight course of God's law. And following the course of God's law is not meant to gain the favor of the Lord, but to show how grateful we are for what He has done for us. And that should fill our hearts with a holy joy and pleasure. We delight in all righteousness. Which brings us to our second point. For the Catechism, summarizing the truth of God's Word acknowledges that no one keeps the commandments of the Lord perfectly. We are to seek our righteousness outside of ourselves in Jesus Christ. Because here in this life, we are and remain sinners. In Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul speaks to this. And at this time, I invite you to open your Bibles to read this with me. And you probably know that when a minister says, I invite, it is the polite way of saying, take your Bible and open it. So Romans chapter 7. And we'll begin reading at verse 7. Where Paul writes, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. 
For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is, for to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. <clears throat> for the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that, is e that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? We'll end our reading there. For Paul wants us to know that even though he is a new creation and has a new heart and disposition, even though he has union with Christ and a new mind, the mind of Christ, even though he has the atonement of Christ covering his life, he is not perfect. He is still a sinner. He is still subject to temptation and the power of the evil one and the evil desires of his flesh. In Romans 7, Paul speaks about his inability to keep the law in the light of the 10th commandment, coveting. And the challenge for all of us is at some point today to find a quiet spot and reread this chapter in that light. Thinking about the areas in our lives where our hearts and thoughts turn to jealousy and envy and coveting. We have only a small beginning of the holiness and the obedience the Lord desires to see. But thanks be to God for Jesus. And that's verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because He is at work in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit so that with earnest purpose we do begin to live according to, not according to only some but to all the commandments of God. We come and we worship knowing that although our sins are like scarlet, Jesus washes them white as snow. And so we can continue with Paul right into Romans chapter 8 and exclaim, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The struggle is there. And that is explained in detail in Romans 7. But Romans 8. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, 
God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. And so, brothers and sisters, we come in praise pursuing a righteousness that is outside of us in Jesus Christ and worked inside of us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And does that not place a wonderful umbrella over the entire law? When we covet and have wrong thoughts and act on them and hear the strict preaching of the law of the Lord then we may not throw up our hands in despair and say, oh, what's the use? Why should I even bother trying? No, the law drives us into the arms of Jesus Christ who has accomplished what the law required through His perfect obedience. He has fulfilled all righteousness for us. Yes, the Lord wants you and me to confess, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body, this body of death? But we do not stop there. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we must decrease, and He must increase. Zeal and a perfect jealousy for his Father consumed Jesus so that we might approach our Heavenly Father on a daily basis saying, Lord in heaven, look upon me in mercy. Now while we are on this earth, we will never reach perfection. The more we know, the more we realize how little we know and how much we need to grow in the grace of the Lord. And that is why we need to be constantly praying for the amazing grace of the Holy Spirit to capture our hearts so that more and more we are renewed after the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. That we reflect Him and who He is and what He has done for us. Yes, every thought is to be made captive and brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, we demolish all arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Beloved, through our prayers, our requests and our desires are made known to God. We pour out our hearts to Him. And a day is coming when all our thoughts and desires, our words and our actions will be pure and wholesome. We will be free from all jealousy and covetousness. We will be fully satisfied with the goodness of the Lord. Having listened to the instruction of the Lord in each of the commandments, we come to see again 
that our boasting can only be in the Lord. The Lord in his great mercy and compassion promises to give us the righteousness of his Son. And so we end where we began, where the law began, with the certainty of God's grace. The law and the life of a Christian is placed within the framework of God's redemptive plan and his actions. And otherwise, it has no place. Christians are not moralists. And we don't seek to follow what the law requires to look good on the outside. Praying for the grace of the Holy Spirit, there is one thing we desire and that we will seek after, and that is to dwell in the presence of the Lord forever ever praising him for his redeeming love in Jesus Christ who is the end and the fulfillment of the law. Well, brothers and sisters, go now in peace and pray that the amazing grace of Christ fill your souls. And may what the Lord Jesus laid on your minds through his word be the intention of your hearts. Amen.